Welcome back to the Mushroom Pizza Podcast. I'm your host, David, and today I will be talking about getting into mushrooms. Say you're curious about mushrooms. Where should you begin? I'm going to talk about what kind of resources are out there for beginners, where to look for mushrooms, the importance of learning the trees in your area, how to photograph mushrooms, the general mushroom identification process, book recommendations, when to look for mushrooms, and more intro-level basics for getting started on your mushroom journey. So let's start from the beginning. Say you find a mushroom. What should you do? The first thing you want to do is slow down and make some observations. In middle school science, we have a full unit on observations, using your five senses to analyze something in front of you. Your observation skills are going to be essential to start learning about mushrooms. Before you even touch the mushroom, you can start your observations. One of the most important factors for mushroom identification is simply where did you find the mushroom? You want to observe the habitat. Is the mushroom growing in wood chips, in a lawn, in a garden, under a specific tree type, maybe an oak tree or a pine? Next, if you have your phone or camera with you, you should take some pictures of the mushroom, undisturbed in its habitat. Taking photos is one of the best ways to begin identifying mushrooms. Unless you are taking home every single mushroom you find, it's nearly impossible to remember all the intricate details of the fungus you found in order to properly identify it later on at home. So your first photo is always going to be of the mushroom in place. Next, you can gently uproot the mushroom trying your best not to break the stem or the base while getting the entire thing out of the ground. And you will find this is an almost impossible task at times, and you may need to dig deep with your finger or use a stick to get the full remnants out of the ground. But you want to practice being very gentle with your mushrooms. And even still, I sometimes accidentally destroy mushrooms while trying to handle them. It's all part of it, all right? Practice makes perfect on this. Some species, though, are impossible to fully identify if you can't see every detail above and below the soil, so you want to practice gentle extraction techniques. Disclaimer, many people have trepidation at first about handling or uprooting mushrooms because they don't want to disturb them, which is totally natural. But in order to properly identify mushrooms, you're going to have to pick some. Once you start learning your mushrooms, you won't have to pick as many, and when you come across one you are already confident in, you can leave it for the next aspiring mushroom person to find and observe on their own. And to play devil's advocate for those that say picking mushrooms is disturbing the ecology, by picking you are actually helping it disperse its spores much further than they would likely get on their own. And you can still leave the mushroom at the end of the ID process for the slugs and the bugs to eat. Okay. So if the mushroom you have just uprooted is sturdy, you can go ahead and take some photos of the entire thing while you are holding it. Take good photos of the top of the cap, the underside of the cap, the full stem, and the base of the stem where the mushroom meets the ground. It is important that you take your photographs outside in natural lighting. If you end up taking your mushrooms home and photographing them inside, the lighting is never quite right and has the potential for skewing the colors and textures and is just not ideal. You can now place the mushroom on its side and try to get some up close and clear shots of the same features I just mentioned above. All the while making observations of the colors, textures, and characteristics of the mushroom. Eventually, you will learn to determine whether the underside of the cap has either gills, 
pores or teeth, but we will get there in another episode. Another important feature of a mushroom is its scent. Now would be a good time to take a good whiff of the underside of the mushroom and see if you get any particular smells. Some mushrooms smell like nothing, some smell like death, some smell incredibly sweet, and most smell sort of earthy or umami, but the range of fragrances is tremendously vast. I notoriously have a tough time trusting my sniffer, as I say, and am personally trying to hone in my scent skills because it is a characteristic I have been prone to overlook and can be very helpful, and I'm always jealous of people's descriptions of the smells they can identify. Eventually, some people even choose to use their sense of taste for ID purposes. Chewing and spitting some mushrooms can help you with the ID process to a certain extent, but I personally am far too anxious of a human to do this. I could chew on something I'm 1000% sure isn't poisonous, but I'd be anxious about it all day. It just isn't worth it for me. And it's something I'd only recommend for more advanced mushroom enthusiasts. I mentioned briefly earlier that it is important and helpful to note the habitat in which you find a mushroom. This leads me to the recommendation of learning the most common trees in your area as you begin to learn about mushrooms. It turns out certain tree types are much more likely to host mushrooms than others. For example, in my area of Northern California, live oak trees, the oak trees that don't lose their leaves and have prickly little leaves that you've probably stepped on barefoot before, are one of the best trees to look for mushrooms under. It's also important to know tree types to differentiate between species of mushrooms you find. Plus, eventually, when you are targeting edible mushrooms, you will want to hone in on their host trees while scouring the woods or forest in order to expedite your mushroom hunt. I highly suggest that you try your best to learn maybe 5 to 10 trees in your area. The more you learn about the diversity in your area, the more connected you will be to all of the organisms. I personally love to ID not just mushrooms, but plants and trees and birds and beyond. Careful though, because this can all become incredibly addicting. Now I also recommended earlier that if you're trying to get into mushrooms, you should be looking for them literally everywhere you go. You can find mushrooms in lawns, gardens, wood chips, parking lots, everywhere in your neighborhood, or even at work on your break. There's a spot where you could probably find mushrooms. So you don't have to be deep in the woods or on long hikes. You don't have to be targeting trees. If you look hard enough, you will find them everywhere. And eventually, if you become lucky enough to become obsessed, you won't be able to help yourself. You'll be the person slowing everyone down on walks and hikes because you can't help but look and slow down because you found or think you found a mushroom every couple of minutes that you need to observe and analyze. It's a blessing and a curse. Trust me on this one. My wife and friends can attest to this. All right, so now you have found a mushroom, photographed it, noted the habitat in which you found it. What's next? I recommend that anyone really interested in learning their mushrooms should buy a book or multiple books if you can. The more resources you have at your fingertips, the better. For my area of Northern California, the best book is called Mushrooms of the Redwood Coast. You can order it online for around $35. It's pretty up to date, the photographs are excellent, and it's easy to use. 
Another great book is called California Mushrooms. It's also up to date, has great photos, and covers more of California than Mushrooms of the Redwood Coast. I have the hard copy and it is a beautiful book. It's a bit more expensive, but it's excellent. If you have both of these books, they will contain the vast majority of any mushroom you may come across in California. There's also the famous Pocket ID book, All the Rain Promises and More, which I mentioned in episode one. It's that iconic book with a dude on the front in the tuxedo holding a trumpet and an armful of mushrooms. Some of the Latin names are a little outdated in that book, but it's still incredibly useful and a fun one to have in your collection. There are so many mushroom books out there, and some of them honestly aren't that great. The main thing I suggest is finding a book that is specific to your region. If your books are not specific to at least your state or your region of the world, then you will have a tough time making proper identifications and it can be very overwhelming. A few of the first books I had when I got into mushrooms were like really generic books and they just did not have the correct species or even a lot of the mushrooms I was finding in my area. One of the fun things about mushrooms is that sometimes they are not at all easy to identify. You might make great observations, take perfect photos, have the best books, and still have no idea where to begin looking and not come even close to a proper ID. There are resources available that can complement your identification books. There is a phone app and website called iNaturalist that can be very helpful. There's also a website called Mushroom Observer. Both of these entail uploading photographs and receiving ID help from humans, artificial intelligence, or both. On iNaturalist, or iNat as it's often called, you can start with a suggestion from the AI and then eventually actual human users will confirm or deny your ID. The AI is actually really good and is only getting better with the more uploads. While I never recommend blindly trusting a computer or a stranger's identification, it is an excellent tool to point you in the right direction of a successful ID. From there, you can cross-reference your books, and that is a pretty solid approach. Another cool feature of iNAT is that if you are willing, when you upload a photo, you can share the GPS coordinates of your observation. This data actually gets used by scientists to create species distribution range maps and can alert the mycological community of new and rare species being found all over the world. And sometimes, if you are lucky, you might get contacted by someone saying, hey, any chance you could go back and collect that specimen, dehydrate it, and mail it to me? indicating that they or someone they know is studying that species and can use it for DNA analysis or for other reasons to study it further. This has actually happened to me and it is a really cool way to feel like you are a part of the mycological community, which I mentioned in the first episode, sort of feels like the Wild West sometimes because it is so underexplored. I will warn you that sometimes you can post on iNaturalist and it can take a very long time to get a response. Do not get discouraged. Eventually, someone will find your observation. Even I have some observations that are on iNat that have not been ID'd in weeks. Some people say that the quickest way to get engagement is to misidentify something on there because people tend to like correcting bad IDs. I've never done this on purpose, but I do misidentify things all the time. 
And anyway, because you're not just going to be using INAT, right? You're going to be using books and other resources. You should not be relying completely on this platform. Beyond using books and online resources, I strongly encourage everyone to find a local mycology club to join. If you haven't, stop everything right now and Google your town or general area's name plus mycology society or group or club and see if anything comes up. For example, in Sonoma County, we have what's called the Sonoma County Mycological Association. I happen to be on the board. It's one of the best ways to meet like-minded folks in your area or even experts that are knowledgeable about the world of mushrooms specifically in your area. I started attending mycology events in my area six years ago or so, and it has been a fundamental part of my journey. The first foray I attended put on by Sonoma County Mycological Association was one of the most influential experiences of my life and served as a catalyst to my mushroom obsession. So definitely look for something like this in your area. In my part of Northern California, there are a handful of similar organizations. There's the Mycological Society of San Francisco. They've been around forever. They just had their 50th fungus fair. There's Mycological Society of Marin. There's the Sonoma County Mycological Association, the Fungus Federation of Santa Cruz, and the Bay Area Applied Mycology in Oakland. Most of these are nonprofits and are free to some degree to attend meetings and some of their events, or have very cheap annual memberships, which you get access to a ton of events and information. Another really fun way to get into the mushroom community is to attend fungus fairs. It's February right now, so we just now are out of fungus fair season. As I mentioned above, San Francisco just hosted their 50th fungus fair. A place called Tilden in Oakland just had one. Santa Cruz has been doing theirs on Zoom the last few years because of COVID, but it's always one of the best. So a fungus fair, what is it? It's really just exactly what it sounds. It's typically one to two days of all things fungus. There are usually incredible displays of real mushrooms organized either by habitat or by family. Santa Cruz famously has always had one of the best display rooms out there. It's just incredible. It's one of the best ways to see mushrooms in the flesh that you have been reading about or seen in videos online but have maybe never found yourself. I volunteered at the Santa Cruz Fungus Fair in 2017 and that was another serious catalyst for me getting into the mushroom scene. It was the absolute best. I helped set up and move things around. I met people that had been into mushrooms for decades. I saw mushrooms like chanterelles and porcini that I had only ever seen in books. I met authors and experts, and I left more excited and inspired than ever. So getting out there and finding your mushroom community is a really important part of the mushroom journey in my opinion. If you do some or all of the things I've been talking about, you're going to be well on your way to becoming a mushroom freak very quickly. Getting books for your area, using online resources, and then getting into a physical community in your area. You might be listening to this podcast thinking, dude, I don't really care about learning to identify all sorts of mushrooms. I want to learn to find edible mushrooms. I'm stoked on edible culinary mushrooms. And that is honestly what draws a lot of people into mushroom foraging. And that's great, but I can say confidently that is not what drew me into it. 
I'm such a nervous, anxious human that it took me so long after finding mushrooms that I was nearly certain were edible, but to actually take one home and consume it took me a long time. Something I see and interact with all the time on mushroom forums and in real life at events is people, they just find mushrooms and they want to know, can I eat this or not? My recommendation is to get into mushrooms because you think they are cool organisms, they're fun to find, and you want to try to ID any and all of them. But I know that is not the reality. I know some people only want to learn mushrooms because they want to forage them, take them home, and cook them and eat them, and that's totally fair too. But I urge you to slow down a little bit. I so often interact with people that are just concerned with edibility that it seems that logic is sometimes lost on them and they will be certain that they found an edible mushroom even though all the characteristics are pointing the other way. And for example, myself, I posted in 2016 on Instagram a picture of what is a toxic jack-o'-lantern mushroom with the caption, is this a chanterelle? I've left this on Instagram for full transparency, but it's honestly embarrassing to look back on. Jack-o'-lantern mushrooms and chanterelle mushrooms look nothing alike if you have honed your eyes and observation skills for fungus, but to the untrained eye, there are some basic similarities, and it's just one of those things that happens all the time. People see what they want to see, and they often want to see edible mushrooms. To be honest, the odds of you finding edible mushrooms right out the gate when you first start looking for them is kind of low, okay? So... You might get lucky, but it's typically not the case. So if you want to focus on edible mushrooms, I still encourage you to learn the steps on your own for how to identify a mushroom. So when you do find an edible mushroom, you have all the confidence in yourself to ID and you will be safe and comfortable ingesting. But just jumping straight into it, trying to eat everything you find kind of freaks me out. All right, so what about poisonous and deadly mushrooms? I'd honestly say that's a way better place to start your learning. There are a handful of mushrooms in Northern California that will kill you if you eat them. People do die from eating mushrooms, and it's tragic. So instead of focusing on edibles, focus on the deadly, toxic, and poisonous mushrooms in your area and learn those. Try to find those and familiarize yourself with them. Then you can work your way backwards and don't ever, ever, ever ingest anything that is remotely similar or has any of the characteristics of those mushrooms. Now that I'm off of my soapbox, there are actually a handful of delicious edible mushrooms in my area that are pretty safe to eat and relatively easy to identify and do not have any poisonous lookalikes. But even still, I urge you to go out with someone that has eaten those mushrooms before or go on a foray with an expert or a local mycological association and learn from someone that has been doing this for a long time and can confirm them for you. You don't want to rely just on your own identification skills right out the gate unless you've been practicing and developing confidence for a long time. Asking others for help leads me to this idea of sharing mushroom spots. There's a stigma in the mushroom world, and there's some truth to it, that there's just a ton of secrecy that people will never, ever share their mushroom spots. And this is a bit of an old school mentality, I think, when it comes to foraging. 
I'm certainly not going to just tell everyone I meet all of my mushroom spots, but I kind of can't shut up about mushrooms. So I tend to share a lot of intel and information with people that I know or have just met, and I've taken family and friends to so many known mushroom spots. I find that the more information you share with people, the more information you get in return. So instead of secrecy and guarding spots, I think that a lot of the new age current mushroom hunters are very willing to share intel. And it really seems the more you share, the more you get in return. I've gotten so many spots and suggestions from people that I know well, and even people that I just met on trails, and I almost always give them spots or information in return. So this old reputation that mushroom hunters won't even tell their best friends any of their sacred spots, in my experience, just isn't really true. I'm sure some people will argue that this is not true, but this is really just what I've experienced. I may have a few spots that I don't share with everybody or have not shared with anyone because they're just extra special to me or they're super close to my house, but if you hang out with me long enough, I probably will not be able to keep my mouth shut. I find it very rewarding to assist others in finding mushrooms. Ultimately, asking for advice and help from others in the mushroom community, you are going to get a ton of information. That's the way to do it, in my opinion. Be smart. Don't be over eager to find edibles. Get a book if you can. Use online resources and just enjoy the time in the woods, practicing making observations, taking good photos, and working on your ID skills. And you are well on your way to becoming a full-blown mushroom fanatic. I've talked a bit about where and how to find mushrooms, and really, the answer to that is anywhere you go. Whether you're on a hike, on a break at work, or simply walking through your neighborhood, there could and should be mushrooms depending on the time of year. But when is the right time of year? One of the most amazing things about living in California is that depending on where you are in the state, you can find mushrooms nearly year-round. In Northern California, in the hottest, driest parts of summer, you aren't necessarily going to find a ton of mushrooms, but you can find them in irrigated lawns and landscaping if you're willing to look, but you won't find much out in the woods unless we get some weird fluke rains. But if you're willing to drive, there is potential at all times of the year to find edible and cool fungus somewhere. The general rule of thumb is that two to three weeks after the first couple of good rains we get in the fall, mushroom season will begin. This can happen in October, November, or December, sometimes later. This is all depending on if we're lucky enough to get rain. This year, the coastal porcini season started in October. In some years, it doesn't even start until December, so it's really variable. If we get sustained rains, we can have mushrooms all the way through spring on the coasts and inland Sonoma County. It's completely dependent on the annual precipitation. If you are willing to drive, there are mushroom seasons all around us in the spring and summer months. For example, there are mushrooms called morels that grow after wildfires in higher elevation once the snow starts melting. You can drive anywhere from three to seven hours away to places like Yosemite or the Sierra Mountain Ranges and hunt in burned out forests. There's also the spring porcini, or spring kings as they are called, and butter eats that fruit in healthy forests up north starting in the spring. If you know where to look, you can theoretically find cool mushrooms all summer. 
If you work your way up in elevation, even in August, sometimes I'm able to find delicious butter bolites in the Sierra Mountains that rely on summer thunderstorms and rainstorms. Moisture is the key factor in all of these, so in years of severe drought, these mushrooms aren't always abundant or easy to find. At this point, it's August, and if you go north to Humboldt, their season has sometimes already started. There are summer chanterelles up there, and their porcini season can start super early on good years. Then, next thing you know, it's fall, and we're hopefully getting rains, and the cycle starts all over again. I didn't even really mention Central and Southern California, but on really wet years like this year, they can have epic mushroom seasons as well. I know this has been one of the better seasons down south in a long time. I've been seeing photos of massive chanterelle halls and articles about all the fungal diversity. In fact, there was just a nice big Nat Geo article all about Southern California mushrooms. To sum it all up, the state of California is an absolute mecca for mushrooms, and if you are willing to travel, you can find them all year. All this talk about where to find mushrooms in California is going to lead me to a recurring segment on the podcast, the fungal forecast, what's going on right now, and this year in general. So this year started out amazing. We got early rains and Porcini started in early October, as I mentioned a bit ago and people were finding them all the way through January. We had unprecedented rains at the end of December through mid-January, and that helped sustain a really good chanterelle season and kick-started the winter mushroom season. Things looked really good all January, but it started to dry out quickly due to warm weather conditions, cold nights, and wind. We just got a few days of rain in the last two weeks, and it seems the season is hanging on, but things are not going as well as they started a few months ago. I was just in Mendocino a few days ago. My wife and I were actually there. We took our six-week-old out to the forest for his first ever mushroom adventure, and it was just the best. We quickly found some good flushes of yellowfoot chanterelles and hedgehog mushrooms, and were able to get in and out before the baby boy even woke up. I just made a delicious cream sauce with those mushrooms last night. So things have slowed down, but you can still find stuff if you know where to look. All right, folks, I know today's episode was really focused on the fundamentals and basics of getting into mushrooms, but that's not going to be the tone every week. I plan on having awesome guests in the future, diving into the pop culture explosion of mushrooms, eating and reviewing mushroom pizza, calling out companies for selling whack products, gossiping about the mushroom community, and a lot more. They won't all be as educational as today. Thank you all so much for tuning in this week to the Mushroom Pizza Podcast. I truly appreciate everyone's support and feedback. It means the world to me that people are listening and reaching out. Please feel free to contact me with any questions you have, ideas of what you would like to hear on the podcast, guest requests, and Mushroom Pizza Slice recommendations. You can email me at themushroompizza at gmail.com or reach out to me on Instagram at the mushroom pizza also feel free to check me out on tiktok and youtube which are also the mushroom pizza thank you so much have a good one i'll see you later bye